trap. Let's dump this trap. Back it up, back it up. Let's dump this trap. Hello and welcome to Bad Romance. I'm Jordan Searles. And I'm Caroline Conrad. And this week we are continuing our journey into the past. We're in the 90s this time. And we're talking about 1995's The American President, directed by Rob Reiner and written by Aaron Sorkin. Caroline, what are your thoughts on this? The President of the United States, any of them fuckable? I mean, I'm going to say a solid no. I'm going to say Jamie Foxx in White House Down, maybe. Yeah, Jamie Jamie Foxx in White House Down. I can I can it. imagine. Um, yeah, that would work. I'm gonna say it's a no for me. A no, no. That's that's the proper answer. That's like the proper thing. But this movie, I mean, as in, I mean, it's written by Aaron Sorkin. So there's so much political fetishism. We'll get into it. And this film, the president is played by Michael Douglas, and then we have Annette Bening as his Who love interest could get and it. a lobbyist. Of course, yes. We got Martin Sheen, which I guess this is before the West Wing, so this is like gearing up for the West. This was like the dry run yeah, you for can the see West that Wing in, in this casting yeah. for sure. Yeah, David Paymer, Samantha Mathis, which like uh, just Samantha Mathis. That's like every single time I see her, it's like man, that was a time. She was a very specific part of time. She was Michael J. Fox, John Mahoney, Anna Devere Smith, Wendy Malick, Richard Dreyfus. I feel like these are all the important ones. (laughs) So this is my second time watching this movie, and it's the first time for Caroline and also our guest. Hi, I'm Dan Schindel, uh, formerly associate editor at Hyperallergic, currently a freelance film writer. This is actually also my second time watching the film. Um, It was based on the first viewing that I proposed it as a subject for a podcast. Oh yeah, second time, right. I don't know why. So it's just so so it's just Caroline that's that's new to it. And it was a perfect suggestion because the moment that I the moment that I watched it I was just like Caroline's going to have so many thoughts about this movie about whether or not you should want to fuck the president. Mm-hmm. I, I think the most, this movie, like so much so the second time, if you really, really look at it, it's really, really banking on this idea that it is just so incredibly hot to like bomb countries. <laughs> well, it does seem as though she's put off by the bombing, but generally not so much that she's not. Well, no, she's, she's put She's put off, he's put off, but like there's the scene where he where he like, you know, is like, okay, we're gonna attack. And everybody calls and then yes. everybody calls it presidential. And then he has like his little speech about how this is the least presidential thing I do. And it's just like, la di da, I'm a good president because Which, I feel really way, guilty about these terrible things happen. that I do. Could you imagine? Could you, you know, imagine that Jamie Foxx in White House down? That's why he could get it. <laughs> However, again, no no president, living or dead, would ever come anywhere close to feeling God, like, let alone enunciating such feelings. Like, I, that's one of my few notes. Be fucking for real. That speech was crazy. Well, it... <laughs> it's so weird because, like, so this movie is about a president played by Michael Douglas who is up for re-election and his approval rating is finally up. It's at 63%. He's trying to keep it there. He's trying to keep it higher, but oh no, there's a crime bill and there's environmental lobbyists. And it's like, how is he going to maintain his position as the president? And how is he going to continue to be a hot, I use finger quotes, single dad? How? How, how indeed. You know, how, it's Caroline. fascinating. There's just so much here. Uh, <laughs> for those of our viewers who don't know, I grew up in Alexandria, Virginia, which is right outside Washington, D.C., and am basically obsessed with the, like, hero is a, what's the word? Fetishization? I don't know. Savior, like, just everything about the government and the ways in which it's portrayed in media and 
this film is a shining example of Aaron Sorkin's propaganda, which, like, he just poisoned the minds of so many people with his good in- with good intention. So many, so many, especially white people. Like, I feel like you can draw a line from this, you know, to the West Wing, to Parks and Rec. To like, Trump he really, really broke white people's brains. Where I would drop it. <laughs> because it's all the liberals who were like, no person could ever elect someone like that. Look at the West Wing. Everyone is reasonable. No! Look at Veep. That's realistic. People are assholes. This movie is also predicated on the idea that Michael Douglas is sexy, which is something there which is something that people have been trying to convince me of for years. And even as a lover of the erotic thriller, have you, I but just that's because don't the, see it. This, here's the problem. This you haven't gotten thing. to the episode of the X-Files where Michael Douglas and David Duchovny swap bodies, and then you will understand. Wasn't that Michael McKean? Maybe. Don't shh, don't ruin this, Dan. I'm always inaccurate. <laughs> I think he's on some okay. episode of the X Files that makes um, he was sexy. Possibly. I mean, I, I mean, that was a, it was a whole thing. Like he was so sexy. He was so sexy that that Glenn Close lost her mind in Fatal Attraction for him. This is this is what I've been fed my entire life, and I just don't see it. But I will say that like. I understand a little bit more like what his strategy for being sexy is. And it's really just like being condescending while also trying to appear as like harmless. Cause it's almost like his kind of masculinity isn't like particularly intimidating. So he kind of gets away with being kind of a dick because he's not like a big like square jawed like brute like it's like he almost looks like he's just you know just chilling he's like just a guy but then you look into his eyes and then you see the intensity of a maniac (laughs) well that's what makes him a perfect sorkin protagonist i was going to say exactly the same thing (laughs) or like liberal just the the condescension with an air of like i'm helping you i'm teaching you the way the world works pal and it's total bullshit but i believe it so you should do well and meanwhile annette benning you know one of the most beautiful talented wonderful actresses to ever do it is playing this lobbyist named sydney and this there's a point in this movie where she says where the president asks her how much she makes and she says more than you. And so with that in mind. Which is, by the way, absolutely fun. true. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, yeah, absolutely. For, I believe like, that's that. one of the parts of the movie that I was like, yeah, that's true. So what's hard for me to understand here is that she is a lobbyist. She actually cares about the environment. She's like, there's like a vague leftist streak to her. She, But she makes more money than him. And she's so, like, awestruck by every interaction that she has with this man who is really not as smart as she is and it and it drives me and it's very much an Aaron Sorkin thing like it's especially true in the newsroom like I think it's the worst that it is in the newsroom where it becomes very clear but it's like their entire courtship is him making her feel like an idiot and him making her feel like there were moments where it's like I know that look that's like I'm in my 20s and I have no idea what I'm doing. That's like the look on her face when she's around him is that. And I'm just like, this is a grown ass woman. Why is she behaving this way? Because she is a Sorkin woman. But also people in DC are like this. Like, it's weird, man. Like, so like both of my parents have been lobbyists at points in their lives. And like when my mom would get like, like get, she like then later was an Obama appointee and like, when she like would go to the White House and get to go to like the White House bowling alley, like she was so excited. Like it, people genuinely are in the government like so excited by this shit. Like I, I don't know if it's like a historical reverence, but there is a real reverence for people in like high political positions from people in DC. Like it's a very, it's a strange thing. However, I will say that 
having had parents who are lobbyists, like, the conflicts of interest are out the kazoo in this thing. There's no way. You can't even accept a no, dinner from a lobbyist. Like, hello. No, it's crazy. That's not how that it's shit crazy. works. But, you know, whatever. That's a... What, we'll get what's there. Really, what's really amazing is that the fact of that clear conflict of interest isn't actually a force of conflict in their relationship. When the Republicans raise their obligatory like character assassination on him and her, that doesn't come up. They just seize on like some bullshit speculation or flimsy evidence from past. The well, fact they sort that- of do. They're like talking about her being a leftist, like flag burning, which like, by the way, was the hottest she's looked in the movie while she was burning an American flag. That's my girl. Which, by the way, they're burning the American flag in apartheid uh, protest in the 80s. What? Right. Like, that is how can you, that is a very defensible. Yeah, act, it's very, like, it's very, it's, well, that's but the that's thing about like how this they movie. make it work for the movie, right? It's like they had to make it something that even like a conservative could be like, well, you know. Well, I mean, the thing about this movie is that it completely divorces, and I mean, Aaron Sorkin's work in general, it completely divorces politics from their actual impact it's like every political move is like it's like a move on a chessboard it's like you're playing the game and it's and it's like it's depicted so much as the game that it obscures like what we're talking about like sydney is lobbying for a 20 percent reduction of fossil fuels and and michael douglas is like what about 10 percent because we're not going to be able to pass 20%. And Michael J. Fox is like, uh, but shouldn't we give it a shot? And everybody's like, oh, you naive child. And everybody to Sydney, oh, you naive lobbyist. And it's like, I'm supposed to be impressed by the fact that he's so laser focused. He's so adult that he understands that we can't save the environment because adults can't do that. Adults have to play the game. <laughs> like what? That's literally how people in DC think. Like that's how the, that's why shit is so fucked up because like that is like the most realistic part of all of their bullshit is that like, it's always like somebody being like, well, anyone who's like, well, shouldn't we try is immediately like dismissed as being ridiculous because like, no, of course you can't try. That'll alienate things. And that's why we have such a centrist fucking government because everybody's so pussyfooted about actually doing anything on the left. And like, I was trying to remember in this movie, do they even clearly say if he's a Democrat or a Republican at any point? He's, no, a, Dem- he's, a, Democrat. he's a Democrat because he's, he's, Richard he's Dreyfuss very much a Democrat, yeah. is, is running against him and he's a Republican. Right, right. Okay, and they yeah. keep talking about the GOP. Yeah, but yeah. But it's, the reason I ask is because I feel like not, I guess, so much in this property, but in a lot of media, like, and I feel like it's a Sorkin-esque tendency to be like, there's good and bad people on both sides. And like, it's about this like reasonable compromise rather than like acknowledging the like that that reasonable compromise right. actually just ends up you being like a continually being pushed to the right because you're acquiescing to like there's only two hours to this movie sorkin didn't have time to fit in his obligatory uh sop to supposed good republicans the thing that is notable to me is that this movie actually does end with uh michael douglas's president being swayed to like actually trying to make a political change his big turn at the end is that he's like okay no we will push through a real crime bill we will push through a 20 percent reduction in go- greenhouse gases and this is like right. a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, he, well, he, he, you know, he, like, if you... he decides not to do the crime bill because it's like this crime bill doesn't address the issue, which is guns. And so it was almost just like it was like pointless. Like he was pushing something pointless. And I did like the fact that they mentioned that it's pointless. Also, the ending of this movie is his big plea for, in my opinion, not just for doing something, but also for why we should want to fuck him. Because he's looking directly, he's giving this press conference, and it's after never talking about, like, oh, Richard Dreyfuss spends the whole movie talking shit, and then he's, he does nothing about it, because he's like, well, Richard Dreyfuss isn't a serious man. Oh, I love that. It's like, this is a serious, this is for serious people. We have serious problems in it, which is... Honestly, the most relatable thing that he says, because my main issue with politics in general, and especially pundits, is that everyone is so unserious about, like, things that are life or death because they want to, like, play games and shit and just be like, well, this one is a doo-doo head. Well, this one is a poopy head. It's just like, what the fuck are we doing? Like, but no, like, he's looking into the screen, and when he says at the end... 
he says he says i am andrew shepherd and i am the president it's like this is it's like him like taking his dick out and putting it on the podium i am the president bitch like that's like lbj style and that's because the whole film, every time that Richard Dreyfus appears, he caps his speeches by saying, and I'm running for president. And so that is how, you know, Michael Douglas gets to assert himself. It's like, I'm already the president, bitch. Like, you wish bitch. that you were me. You exactly. wish you were me. Exactly. Um, no, and as you, as you said, um, hey, I'm the president is somewhere around 70 to 80% of his pitch to him, of himself as a person to Annette Benning. But I was going to say earlier is that at the end of the movie, you know, he decides, oh, we're going to actually try to do something. Whereas if you go forward, like even a few years to the West Wing, the, the cap to that storyline would absolutely be that, no, no, we're going to go through with like the, the watered down bill, but that's going to be a good thing because we were reasonable and we got the compromise to happen. Yeah, it's yeah, very, it's yeah, it's, 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 it's really weird. Like, I'm like, I'm trying to think one of the episodes of this podcast I got the most angry was leap year. And part of my issue with leap year is that there's nothing wrong with Amy Adams in it. And she changes for really nothing. I mean, she gets like some hot Irish dick at the end, but I don't know if it's necessarily worth what she gives up, which is her career and Adam Scott, who did nothing wrong except not propose to her. The arc in this is very much like a Sydney. I need you to like care less about your convictions for this relationship yeah. to work. Like their entire relationship is predicated on her not being like, like the speech, like, yeah, her not being herself, by the way, her whole thing is like, you, Sydney, you should shrink yourself. It really is. Like I was, it's like, it's, it's weird. Get we're, a man, we're... Because you're single, bitch. You must be miserable, even though you're making a ton of money and have a nice relationship with your sister. Literally like not to, sorry to invoke the terrible Chimamanda, but I was thinking it's like, I know. we teach. <laughs> I know. We, you heard me say, you heard it in we, my voice. We teach like, powerful mm. women to shrink themselves. <laughs> we say to women, like, it's really that. Like, it's really it's crazy really, yeah and also when she comes in that introduction scene where they're like john mahoney's like we need a lobbyist like we need somebody who can really play ball which john mahoney always happy to see him what a king what a hottie always happy to see he he's like talking to wendy malik and wendy malik's whole role in this movie is so weird whenever aaron sorkin tries to understand why certain women don't like each other the explanations that he comes up with are so crazy <laughs> Because it's like, why does why does Wendy Malik have an issue with Annette Benning? It actually doesn't make sense. Then when they're and when the introduction happens and Annette Benning's like telling telling one of the I don't know if he's security, he's like front desk, like just this nice black man. He's she's just talking about how it's like Capra esque, and Wendy Malik is like, he doesn't know what you're talking about. That's one to be like. Wendy, are you being racist? Like, I'm like, right, like, are you just being like, racist like that's, or classist? That's like a middle-aged black man. Of course he knows who Frank Capra is. Like, what are you talking about, girl? Yeah. And then he says it. He says, yeah. And the what what I love is that he said he explains it in a very um encyclopedia-esque way, as if he is reading from a Wikipedia article instead of like saying anything <laughs> naturally. Um, but mean? I love he that you bring that up because American director, it's a wonderful life. Mr. Smith goes to Washington. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the way that people. That's what I would say. I mean, that's yeah, the he's... way that some people like. You know, it, it's definitely a movie thing and a TV thing. But people in the wild really do like list movies like that. Like that's like that's like a very like normie film buff way to talk. But I get what you mean. <laughs> I guess I'm being shaded. I'm like, I but... thought that was. How else would you? <laughs> no, I'm not people saying... who know what you're talking. <laughs> You. It's just very clear that Aaron Sorkin is trying to remind us that he knows that black people are smart. He wants you to know that even though there's oh, only yeah. one major black person in this movie, Anna Devere Smith in the press secretary, um, he's like, I respect black people. I do. Like he ever in everything that he does, well, he has to remind us that real but then quick. Why remind us beforehand that you like, I don't know. I was just like, okay, I guess we're just supposed to think she's racist, or does she just dismiss everything everyone I think, says? I just think that Wendy Malik is written in a way to be antagonistic to her for reasons that don't make sense. So the way that she asserts like 
her distaste don't make sense either. <laughs> well, in in Sorkin's world, the worst he can do is not having read the homework. So uh, the the only stated reason is that, you know, Annette Benning is an outsider, right? She doesn't know the environmental subject matter of a way that Wendy Malick does. And this may seem to you as like not really any grounds for character conflict, but it's just Aaron Sorkin, who is that kind of nerdlinger. And speaking of Sorkin as a nerdlinger, the scene of them going to the White House and talking, having a very odd conversation about Frank Capra also does another duty, which is uh, have Aaron Sorkin very baldly state what he is trying to do here, which Aaron Sorkin, among other things, he wants to be Patty Chayefsky, but he really, really, really wants to be Frank Capra. And this is him trying to do it. And in some ways, you can you can kind of see it. In most ways, no, you do not. It is a uh, it is a leap that falls very far short. Um, no, I wrote in my notes. Keep Frank Capra's mouth out of your name. <laughs> you mouth. Out of your... Oh, wait, nope. I uh, that no, backwards. I mean, I mean, you know, it's there's yeah. I mean, he's saying. definitely working on this sense of wonder because you know, um, of course, we the the meat cute is is. Um, Sydney being embarrassed so she's talking about how the president is being a punk ass bitch and then the president shows up and she's like whoa and then everybody's like oh we hope that this doesn't like affect your decision to like work with her and blah 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 and the whole time I'm just like I don't know man like if somebody's telling me that I'm like you know being a little bitch like I would appreciate that and I mean to his credit he does or a little bit anyway but the thing is (laughs) In also in a Frank Capra movie, she wouldn't apologize for it. Yeah. Like she, she would just be, be like, yeah, she and apologizes way too much. Like she would have said it to his face in the first place in a Frank Capra movie. Yes, like exactly. Like don't invoke the, the master's <laughs> thing, sir. The, sir. Be for real. The key distinction I would say is that Frank Capra, I could easily see him directing a movie like this, but with him, you would see a lot of like sincerity and yes, like some full throated like defense and expression of the American dream, quote unquote, American values. Okay, he left that with better filmmaking, with some real venom and oppositional elements in the script. And also when he is sincere, it works, whereas Aaron Sorkin suffocates it under pompousness. And I feel like if Frank Capra made this movie, you can see it in the title, like he would give it like some jaunty name, like Hail to the Chief or the gent- or gentleman caller in chief or the president's lady friend whereas this is just called the american president which is incredibly generic but quote but sounds stately and it could it also be used for any number of other movies does that title no, tell you that this is not part of it at all yeah it ex- exactly D- that title doesn't tell yeah, you no, that this no, is a rom-com no. starring also, the president like- Frank Capra already, I mean, he made Mr. Smith Goes to Watch It. He made his Americana, like, you know, his love letter to America. And Frank Capra did love America. He directed all of these um, literal propaganda films for the World War II. I don't know if you guys know that, if our listeners know that. Um, That was, like, a big thing that he did was these, you know, anti-Nazi and, like, encouraging people to support the war films. So Frank Capra was very much, like, a capitalist and american he made american madness which is a very you know like in defense of capitalism and critical of at the same time but like ultimately it's like his ideas that like people the good of the people can like overcome that and like that you know he really believes in american ideals but also like frank capra was a christian and a, a catholic and was very like in a very like classical way like very like optimistic about people because he believed that like people actually were led by good faith and like this movie doesn't really presuppose people are led by good faith yeah in any way because even Annette Bening who's supposed to be our like good faith character is down with like getting with this president who's against all her values and has seemingly no qualms about it whatsoever like not even nary a conflict well the problem with Aaron Sorkin is that he believes that most people are idiots and easily led that that's the problem with him and it's also like if trump is any indication partially true so it's kind of weird because it's like it's an outlook that doesn't really play well if you're trying to be sincere but it's not wrong entirely right i mean it's fascinating because like i rewatched mr smith goes to washington recently actually and it was like 
almost like kind of painful to watch because I was like, damn, I wish that there were politicians who were this, like, had this much of a backbone and were this like morally sound, but this is just like fantasy at this point. Yeah. Which doesn't make it any more or less of an effective film. It was just like poignant for me to watch at a time when I'm like, haha, the world is burning. Um, if only Jimmy Stewart was real. Yeah. But nobody in this movie was I like, damn, I wish that person was real. Yeah, no. I, like, at no point was I out, moved to the point of tears or anywhere close. No. Like, there's no, like you said, there's no sincerity. There's, like, a mockery of sincerity. Yeah, no, I don't really, yeah. It, that's definitely a situation. Like, a part of the situation is that I don't really like anybody except, like, the daughter. And that's because, like, she's a child and very clear, like, the beginning of Elizabeth Moss' role in The West Wing. I didn't even, I've never watched The West Wing, but I know that she's in it. And I also know that there's Elizabeth ne- Moss is in it? Yeah. She plays she plays the president's daughter. Yeah, she plays daughter, his daughter. Martin the president's Sheen daughter. And Stockard Channing's daughter. Damn. That means that at some point in my life as a child, Elizabeth Moss was on my street because they filmed an episode of West Wing on my street. Fun fact. Yeah. I remember, the only thing I remember about that nice. is the plot about how, like, she starts dating. There's, like, yeah, yeah, Dulé Hill, like, Dulé Hill. what does he do for the president? I forget. He's the president's, uh, he's, he's the president's body man, his aide. Oh, yeah, his aide, yeah, yeah, yeah. and Elizabeth Moss date him, and then racists get upset, and it becomes, like, a whole thing. Eventually, I will watch that show, and it'll be torture. The thing is, is that I unfortunately, like, know a lot of people who are really into the West Wing. I knew, past tense, and I hate those people now, <laughs> so it's been, like, you know, it's like this show that would unlock the truth about a group of people that I don't really want to understand in the first place. But I might just watch it because... Wait, is Josh Molina in it? Yes. Okay, I had I a crush... Watch Veep. I had a crush on him when I watched Sports Night. I was... I had, <laughs> that's what I'm coming out of. So I had a big Josh Molina crush. I don't know who that is. He's He's in a lot of Sorkin stuff. He's in this movie, actually. He's in... He's in like one scene of this movie. <laughs> and I was like, there he is. It's, it's He's the guy whose entire role is to tear down the papers, showing how many more uh, senators or whatever they're trying to get convinced. Oh, Josh Molina, this guy. I think of him as like a knockoff Stephen Colbert, kind of. Whoa, I don't like that. I mean, I mean that's oh. aggressive. Not He looks to me like a mix of Stephen Colbert and someone else who I can't put my finger on. And, like, I always feel like whenever I see this guy, I can't place him, but I know him from Scandal, mainly. Oh, yeah, he is on Scandal. But, yeah, no, on Sports Night, I really liked him because he got, like, a very, he got, like, a very cute love story on that show. And I, I was no very, and I was very invested. Sports Night, which is Aaron Sorkin's first TV show. Literally never heard of it before this moment. What did you think I was talking about? I don't know. I thought you were talking about, like, the ESPN or something. <laughs> no! Aaron Sorkin had a show called Sports Night. It starred Josh Molina, Josh Charles, Peter Cross, Felicity Huffman. Like, it was it was a whole thing. It's actually... What's I it? actually, actually just bought the box set because I was like, you know what? I don't want to wait another, like, wait for it to show up on streaming I again. Wanna I want to be able to watch Sports Night whenever I want. To be over. <laughs> so this movie is is a collection of scenes in which annette benning embarrasses herself michael douglas is smug about it but then he gets this little like twinkle in his eye that's like oh she's a cutie and then the, then the scene like it's that over and over and over and again sometimes his aides in the background like face palming <laughs> Like, uh, the scene where he's trying to buy her flowers and he realizes that he does not control... It's such a... The the movie, like, as much as it talks about, like, democracy, it makes him seem like a king. Like, him trying to figure out, like, who has my credit cards? Why can't I buy her flowers? He, like, he can't buy her flowers, so he sends her a ham. And then at the end, he just, like, picks flowers from the presidential garden because he can't figure out how... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to send her flowers and he won't let anybody who works for him do it because he wants it to be personal he wants it to be from him and we're supposed to be like yes we love this sexy president who wants to buy the flowers personally but doesn't really care Mr. about president you know the climate change the prices. flowers himself 
See, I think that that on its own is a great concept for a rom-com. Um, and it doesn't have to be present, obviously, but this idea of a very powerful man having to do very mundane things. If you imagine like this movie, but with more likable characters and just without any of the political bullshit, just the idea of a rom-com, but like one of the characters happens to be present to me is actually has a lot of potential. And in the, mo the moments I did enjoy, it was that essentially, yeah. uh, but it is just so goddamn self-important. Um, so again, it's not just like this charming rom-com with president, it's the American president. So you get stuff like the scene where he sorrowfully orders a strike to kill innocent people in Libya. That wh why is that in this uh, charming rom com? It just so that so, so that he can tell so so he can tell um, uh, David Paymer he could when David Paymer says this is this is very presidential, so he can say no. <laughs> what we're not going to do is this, which is just like it's like okay, you're going to be shitty to David Paymer. Meanwhile, Michael J. Fox is just a, poor Michael J. Fox in this movie. Just his whole role is like, shouldn't government be working to help people? And, and everybody's just like, like fuck off, kid. But literally, like that's like every conversation I feel like I had with an adult in Alexandria, Virginia, as a child. It's like I was like, shouldn't we like try to not bomb people? They're like, well, be reasonable. Oh, I love that he's the assistant to the president of domestic policy. I love this very, somebody working in domestic policy that has this much empathy and everybody's just <laughs> like, this guy. <laughs> I'm just like, whatever. Also, there's just so many scenes of people apologizing to the president and also people calling him president and him being like, can you, you can just say my name. Call That's the other part of like, me. Like a king, like a, like when he tells Martin Sheen, you're best man at my wedding. And he's just like, yeah, Mr. President. I'm just like, this is fucking deranged. Yeah, at that point, I was like, that was his best man? Like, that's uncomfortable. If I, listen, if there was a lady president and I was maid of honor at their wedding, I would be smoking weed in the White House. Like, I would just be like eating snacks. I would just be like fucking, like I'd, like I'd be getting fucked in the Oval. They'd have to kick me out. I would be in there, man. <laughs> I would just be like, they'll be like, oh, she's here. Be yet. the Kramer like, of the White House. Just I would be it. the Kramer of the White House. Yeah, no, no. It's but like, going back to what Dan said, like literally, like the only this movie had potential if it had been Mr. President said he would get the flowers himself. Like I would watch a bumbling, high-powered man going through these like situations, and I thought it was funny when like he's like, I'll do it myself. So he calls the florist, and the florist just like assumes it's a prank call when he says it's the president hangs up because like of course she would like that is funny and real. okay like, that crazy okay yeah that's of the course other no one, one would think you were really the president moment. the big the other big moment where he embarrasses her is just when she's just like she's just like telling him all, and it's so funny because whenever she's like mean to him or like shitty i'm just like we need more of this right where but is then the once she knows and that's what he he likes she, it he literally loves he it has. he loves it he doesn't want and she's yeah, like, oh my god, I'm so sorry. He's like, give me more. He's like, literally, their entire, dynamic is, their entire dynamic is that, like, he's her daddy. Like, there's, like, a scene where, like, he's, like, stroking her face. And it's just, like, I just feel like he wants to call you daddy right now. Like, every interaction with them yeah. is, like, extreme daddy energy. Like, he, they do not seem like two adults who are on the same level at all. Like you, you talk about the very weird reverence many people have for the White House and as an institution, the president as a figure, some of which has fortunately been severely undermined thanks to recent events that have Correct. taken place in the White House. This is true. Uh, and I think that that's actually a pretty good depiction um, here, at least in early scenes of you know, the movie is giving us this man who has is estranged from many of the people around him because he holds this office which comes with so much assumed prestige and status so you know his best friend won't call him his first name anymore and so you have a great rom-com setup there where oh he really becomes taken with the first woman in forever to treat him very informally and tell him like it is right and again this is very capra-esque very his girl friday like setup that would be perfect if i feel if they had made this movie in the 30s or 40s um, because then that would be the source of some really crackling dialogue and interaction, right? But the problem here is that, once again, Aaron Sorkin only really knows how to treat a female character by telling us how capable she is, but then constantly undermining her and kind of having her act like a high schooler. 
And here's the key. He thinks that he balances out humiliating the female characters by having the male characters simply be flustered, which is how, again, there's so many scenes where in this movie, Michael Douglas acts, you know, kind of like an anime character, like sort of rubbing the back of his head with his hands. But no, that's that's not equal because uh, Aaron Sorkin is fundamentally enamored of power and enamored of the idea of powerful men and figures and in love with myths around them. So he can't have them stoop too much by actually making you know, him be uh, taken down a peg too much. You know what I mean? Well, it's fascinating because when, like, she's, like, talking shit about him and he comes in, like, everything she's saying seems to be true and, like, everyone agrees with her and even he agrees with her, but it still is, like, she apologizes for it and he's sort of like, don't apologize, but, like, she still is the one who, like, comes around on her. I mean, they both come around on their opinions to some degree, but, like, yeah, I don't know. I just, like, I watched Aaron Brockovich recently again and, like, yeah, I know. I was there. Right. Oh, yeah, you were there. We need a little more Aaron Brockovich in this. You know what I mean? Like, there's a woman who can take control, and she fucking does it. Like, she annihilates all of the lawyers in every conference room. And, like... Well, well I mean, the movie is so much more... Like, because, like, the scenes of him softening is, like, when he's, like, asking his daughter, like, what does what she do? And the daughter's just, like, you should tell her that you like her shoes. And then there's just that scene where they're like uh, get having all these pictures taken of them, and then he's like, "Nice shoes." And it's like, I love that like your daughter gave you this piece of advice, and you didn't even like think about anything nice. Just you were just like, "Nice shoes," and of course she's impressed because the king she seems to be impressed by king literally daddy, any crumb of king, attention he gives. King her. Daddy President said that he liked her shoes. If Daddy likes them, they must be good shoes. Like. It's- the- the presumption of this movie is that everyone is constantly awestruck by the president, simply by virtue of him being the president. Yeah. Also- and again, it's so difficult to think about now, given like the media age we live in. I don't know how true that is to 1995. I think I was before a child Trump then. that was true. And I think part of the reason that the establishment hated Trump so much is that he did so much to disgrace the office of the president and to like undo the idea of these positions being like reverential and like treated with this like deep inherent respect and he really crumbled that but like before that like I would say that was absolutely a thing and like it is fascinating to watch now because you're just like what like the person who held this position was like tweeting crazy shit like what right that reverence has been shattered there's nothing that a liberal loves more than standing on ceremony and procedure and this illusion of decorum. So that is why we had so much repugnant uh, George W. Bush nostalgia because of Trump. People were very willing to forget how, how much they justly hated George Bush because, you know, at least supposedly he was uh, decent, right? right? And by decent, they just mean that he went through the motions expected of the office. And what's crazy is that his administration very much did not. Like, Cheney's team was fucking doing warrantless surveillance across the whole country for this whole time, secretly. The president himself didn't even know about it for several years. All of this has been reported, like, so much has come out about the things that the Cheney and like the Bush administration were doing that was like absolutely against the decorum and the reg- like the reg- whatever not regulations so like processes set up in these places and he did so much to undermine those processes that Trump and was able to capitalize on that like it's insane to me that people really do have this sort of like like willful ignorance towards the Bush administration and all the things that were undone in the early aughts that led us to where we are today. And I just, it. Facts don't matter. It's just, all that matters is the way that you felt at the time and the way the president uh, comported himself, right? But like Bush was a fucking idiot. He was always making malaprobisms. Like he was a laughing stock. It's just insane. Well, yeah, it's like, but he becomes less of a laughing stock right, when you compare him. Yeah, when he's doing his little, and when you realize, it, like, it's just, it's, it's just like kind of like the bar is in hell the kind bar of a is situation. In hell. Absolutely like, in hell. Yeah, because it's like you know we have Joe now, who I didn't realize is like eighty years old. <laughs> um, he worked with segregationists. <laughs> he talks about him. 
like, I used to have lunch with a segregationist. Sir, am I supposed to be happy about that? <laughs> I'm I like, do. yes, literally okay. that's, but that actually ties into what we're all saying. It's like, his idea is that that is admirable because it shows that he can work across the aisle. And everyone in D.C. is obsessed with work across the aisle because it's the only way you can get things done. Because you have to work across the aisle. And it's like fucking capitulated to these people to the point that there is no middle. Like, it's already over there. Sorry, it is. I'm, totally, I'm yeah. being a pundit myself. I need to rein it in. No, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, I get what you're, I get what you're saying. I want, I do want to come back to the dynamics of this relationship right so like they're together and while this relationship is happening between uh, michael douglas president and lobbyist Annette benning is that his approval rating is like plummeting and it's just because people are asking questions about conflict of interest and he just refuses so much of this like it what bothers me so much about this movie is that the conflict hinges on the fact that the president doesn't understand that his responsibility as president is to explain himself like it's kind of like it's kind of nuts because he and just it, basically like, decides to not to the be the president like his yeah he acts like to the people He's yeah, but he acts like it's not. Whims. He's like acting like it's admirable to be like, I'm choosing love. No, bitch, you're the president. Wait a few years. It's like, yeah, like nobody. It's almost like the liberation of the president. Like, it's like Aaron Sorkin's like the president is a person. But I just can't imagine the situation, maybe because every president has been married, but just everybody being like the president, the most eligible bachelor we have. Right. Like, who is going to be with the president? It's like, who... Who cares? Who would put themselves in that amount of scrutiny? And also, it does, as you're saying this, though, it reminds me of, like, the way people talk about, you keep saying he acts like a king. It's like Prince Harry before Meghan Markle. Like, he was, like, the most eligible bachelor. Like, look what happened to her. That does not seem like a fun ride. Oh, man, that was crazy. Like, the the way, <laughs> the difference in public opinion of Prince Harry has been, like, because I remember being a kid and just being like, oh, Prince Harry's kind of cute. He's kind of like the cool prince. And it's like, now I'm 30 years old. And I just think that he's a loser. And I, just, I think that she saddled herself to a loser. And it's weird because like now that she's like really put all of her eggs in that basket, she really has she really has to see this through. We talk with this idea that like being a princess is like the ultimate fairy tale at the same time that we watch Princess Diana be literally hounded to her death. And I was like, I don't know, man, something about this seems a little confusing. Getting some mixed messages. And also Kate here. Middle. And also just, like, I remember, and this is before I even understood, like, tabloids and stuff like that. I remember seeing this stuff about Kate and Tippa Middleton, and I didn't realize it until, like, recently. That, like, Kate, Kate was like, I'm getting in that palace. Like, that was not her and Prince William. That was not, like, a beautiful love story. She wanted to be in that palace. And Pippa, and 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 the Pippa agenda, I think about, the Pippa agenda was crazy, okay? It was like, there'd be a picture of her on the front of People magazine, and they'd be like, they'd be like, oh, Kate Middleton's sister, she's got like a great butt. She has like a butt, like it exists, it exists. But like, I remember all this talk about Pippa's ass, all this talk about Pippa is like a party girl, Pippa is so cool. And I'm just like, why do I care about the sister of the chick who clearly wants to marry Prince William? Like, I don't know. But it was like a whole campaign. Those, like, one day somebody's going to expose those two as like, like the biggest, two of the biggest opportunists in pop culture. Because I thought that I was, I was just, I'd be reading it and I'm just like, this does not. Like, so when people, so when Megan started talking about Kate Middleton being kind of a bitch to her, I was just like, yeah. I mean, does she seem like a nice person to you? Anyone who <laughs> does... wants that much power, like, there's something wrong with you. Like, and it's the same with, like, Annette Benning in this movie. Like, if she really cares about these issues, like, theoretically, she has other values as well that would include not bombing people. And yet there seems to be only, like, the slightest conflict derived from that and then she's like yeah but like he sent a car for me you know what i mean like twirling her hair like yeah it's just it doesn't there's no like it doesn't carry for me emotionally that like i mean but it also does because people in dc are fucked up it is insane how inconsequential the president literally ordering people's deaths is in this movie 
again, we, you said this before, you could cut that scene out. It is, it exists because like it is in service to how, how overweening this is about the importance of the precedent and how serious, again, a job it is. But it and also I guess is if it so does... ridiculous because it completely yeah. undercuts that by having this moment where he's asking how many people are working and like, can we do it on the night shift? Because like, I'm sorry, like, I find it so hard to believe that anyone would ever, a president would ever ask that or that he would be given that information, like... I mean, he might, but would not it care. Just, but like, again, this just, is this is this is Sorkin land. Like, it's just like it just felt so like, oh my god, punch me in the face! Like, we're getting this like agonizing decision. Like, this man has already made up his mind. He's bombing these people. Like, let's just if you a yes, let's cut it. Why is this in here? But b if it's in here, like, fuck off. Right. It's like, like you're sad like, and justifying the death by being sad. We're supposed to be like, oh, it's okay that you kill these people because you feel guilty about it for five minutes. Like, yeah, fuck off. Literally, <laughs> no, literally, yes. That is the that is the message that is being sent there. That is how Sorkin is telling you that even though he is ordering these innocent men to their death, he's a good person still. That is the message. That is, that is actually what he's it's saying. It's very much, yeah, it's kind of like, um, this is, I almost feel like this was very erotic for Aaron Sorkin to write. Like, I really do yes, feel like he, he was like, this is hot. I feel like that man's like, what? yes, it is good that we well, do this. Well, I was thinking, I was thinking about the scene when, um, when like it, it, they might be breaking up, but then, but then Annette Benning goes into the bathroom and she comes out and she's, and she's just wearing, she's just wearing, isn't she in like a white dress shirt? And just, I need a quick answer so that I can move on yes. to why I'm asking this question. Yes. Okay. So she comes out in a white dress shirt. This is very, this is very important. This is me going deep into sports night lore here. She comes out and it's so attractive to him that he like, he's just like, wow, there's like no doubts. So in sports night for all of the early Sorkin heads, as I mentioned, Jeremy and Natalie's relationship was a big thing for me. And Jeremy and Natalie sometimes would like get into fights about certain things. And there was one episode where they were arguing about something. I feel like it was like poker related or something. There was just something that they were upset about. And then Natalie goes goes and puts on Jeremy's white dress shirt and she's just standing there and he's looking at her and it's like oh she won the argument like Aaron Sorkin like this is the movie that made me realize that Aaron Sorkin loves the idea of a woman in a man's long white dress shirt like this is a fetish of his and I, it was just I just needed everybody to know. Aaron Sorkin also loves to recycle scenes and lines of dialogue. So it, I haven't seen Sports Night, but it makes sense that he reused that trope again. Um, he also reuses the scene of the president ordering a strike in West Wing again, with the president repeating the line, someday someone will teach me to value a proportional response. The man loves to plagiarize himself. He is shameless about it. Yeah, he does. I just, I love this idea that the hottest thing in the world is an attractive woman just like wearing a pressed white button down shirt and nothing else. That was a big trope of the 90s, maybe into the early aughts. Like I can't off the top of my head think of other movies except 27 Dresses, but it was like very much a thing that is ingrained in my mind growing up as like, the sexiest thing you can do after you sleep with someone is like put on a man's shirt, especially if it's a button down or an oversized t-shirt. I mean, just, it is pretty yeah. hot, I think. <laughs> well, it's like, and then he, and then he was just like, well, I just love the idea that like he's a president driven almost entirely by his whims. Like the entire right. thing is just like them going on dates, him like bringing her to like, doesn't he take her to the state dinner? <laughs> That's her first date. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he takes her to Camp David. Like it's just all of weird. Which again, like it's totally inappropriate. Like it's insane. all of the criticism of their relationship should be about the conflict of interest. Like other like personally, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I support her issues, so like I'm like whatever, but like he should be swayed that way, but like as far as like processes and like proper standard go like absolutely not that's insane that he would be dating a lobbyist you can't do that shit i feel if this movie was much darker and more cynical they could make the exact same material work really well like this very cynical movie about the president dating a lobbyist um and doing like all it the does impact his political yeah. decisions yeah, like doing... that's a 
doing all the same thing, but they're just like, yeah, what are you going to do? He's like, he can technically do anything. He's a president. Going to Camp David for like a romantic weekend is so, a, such a perfect dorky, Aaron Sorkin thinks it's a romantic thing. And you could just as easy play that as just like a sarcastic joke. You could even right, like still- like it's a complete yeah. waste of taxpayer money. Like, are you kidding me? You, you could can't even- fly this bitch around on Air Force One? As your, you like, could... little booty call plane? Absolutely not, sir. You work for the fact that it's the property of the federal government, bitch. Yeah. And if, really? <laughs> if, they, uh, if they underlined all that, it'd be really funny. But instead, Aaron Sorkin is very enraptured in the idea that it's romantic. Um, you could even still have the scene of the missile strike, but just, like, again, play that for a very dark comedy of him being like, well, time to go get laid now literally yeah 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 it's It's a complete misappropriation of funds for him to be taking her out to dinner and him being like oh it's okay i can't figure out how to pay for it so we'll just bill it to the white house all the like all these fire like no that's taxpayer money too sir (laughs) (laughs) i didn't vote for that (laughs) the fact the fact that they end that they end up together is crazy like the implications of it are like the implication, the implication that he that he would like you know like marry a lobbyist or like or like shack up with a lobbyist like the fact that she's have like, her in, in the, the white way in the west just, wing like she's like wing. looking at your documents like what are you she's doing she's just walking around the white house and everyone is so happy to see her michael j fox is like hi martin sheen is like hi it's like once again it's like put me in there like i will use that space the way that it's just, like if we want to talk about being disrespectful it's just it's so it's so yeah, crazy. it's so it's it's so crazy because like, I really want to have my parents watch this movie and get their take on it. You, I absolutely need need your parents to. I mean, they've probably seen it, but you should you should they talk probably to them about it. They haven't. They don't watch movies. They don't really watch movies. Oh wow! I I'm learning. So, okay, I'm yeah. fascinated by now. I want to meet your parents and have them watch a movie. Like I want to watch a movie with your parents. <laughs> Like, I, I'm trying to think if I asked my mom what her favorite movie is. I think her answer would be A Fish Called Wanda. Aww. Apparently, I was born. My mom went into labor with me because she laughed so hard watching A Fish Called Wanda. That's delightful. <laughs> That's so cute. Yeah. She's more of a reader. So, um, I don't know if you looked up the uh, background on this, but for a long time, this was actually supposed to be a Robert Redford movie. And apparently, he spent years pitching it with just a single line premise, The President Elopes which for a time was also its working title, which, first of all, great title. I would absolutely, again, if you're back in the 30s or 40s, that would absolutely be a title. I'd see that movie. I would see, I would absolutely see The President Elopes, like, today as part of a double feature at the, like, uh, UCLA Film and Television Archive back in LA um, with some other forgotten 30s screwball comedy. Um, And of course, for a long time... Yeah. For a long time, it was supposed to be Robert Redford, who left after Rob Reiner came on board and steered this direction of the story away from it being a love story to it being more about politics, which you can totally see here. That's kind of why it has that odd split between being just a rom-com and also being about the supposed imports of the American presidency, which again, we've talked a lot about Sorkin, but I guess you cannot, I think, discount Rob Reiner as an aforeal voice here Wait, because oh yeah definitely that this kind of like no he directed he, it what? he directed it okay yeah so damn yeah damn damn talk i know about, I, I said I just, that at the top of the show babe <laughs> i Dan, Dan, go ahead like get into get into rob reiner i um, i mean i have thoughts of rob reiner as a director but i want to know yours what a uh, interesting filmography. And of course, he and Sorkin had previously worked together on A Few Good Men. I don't know the timeline of the production of this, but it wouldn't surprise me if like, after he took over sort of production and Redford was out, if he brought Sorkin aboard. Apparently Sorkin wrote this entire script like high on cocaine. And the fact that it this is a cocaine script just goes to show what a fucking dork Sorkin is, that this is how it came out, that this is his version of like some of just pure deranged drug fueled like imagination. But Rob Reiner, like his forays into politics, you can see this definitely 
as sort of the midpoint between the guy who directed When Harry Met Sally and the guy who had directed A Few Good Men and would go on to do things like, you know, fucking LBJ and shock and awe. Because he's pretty good at doing, you know, warm romantic comedies or, or at least serviceable or popular ones and really bad for the most part at doing political stuff. Uh, and so it doesn't surprise me the idea that he would turn what Robert Redford imagined as this sort of nice romance just happened to be at the president into something that was very much about, you know, trying to make things happen in politics. But I do think that the fact that this does end with things like, you know, the president coming around to actually trying to fight for a real bill uh, instead of like compromising might be more of a Reiner thing and Reiner evening out Sorkin's influence, given what we know about what Sorkin thinks good politics are. So I definitely view Sorkin more as the uh, sort of the auteur, so to speak, of this film. Like there are so many Sorkinisms and so much of it is basically, as you said, at the top Jordan, a dry run for the West Wing from specific lines and scenes and concepts to reusing so many of the cast in different roles. Um, but there is some writer in there too. It's, you can see it as like Reiner yeah. take, seizing it from Redford and handing it over to Sorkin, who just did his filthy, centrist Red. bullshit to it. Okay, so what is like what aspects of it do you feel you know Reiner most? Um, like I said, the ending. Oh yeah, the the ending definitely. That's a very like a few good men kind of speech. Yeah. <laughs> Very much so. You know, I, I could not off the top of my head tell you about like any directorial flourish I think is very much him. Like, come on, it's, it's Rob Reiner. He's, you don't really uh, know him as a very accomplished visualist. Um, <laughs> well, okay. But I, I will say sure. that I think sure. I think that, um, you know, one thing that I don't think I mentioned, but in addition to be, wanting to be Chayefsky and wanting to do Capra, something that Sorkin wants to do, and I think his single biggest influence is His Girl Friday. And I think that that energy meshes pretty well with Reiner's sensibility. And I, there are a lot of early scenes of characters doing not the walk and talk because they're not really focusing on the walking so much. This is before the West Wing really made the walk and talk so big. But there's the back and forth. It's snappy. You know, it, it's fun enough to see them banter. I think that Reiner is serviceable at delivering that. So that's where I think I see that the two of them work well enough together but again yeah. it is ultimately just consumed by just this self-seriousness that would very much characterize many later reiner political films and of course be i'd say the defining quality of anything sorkin makes even when it's not directly about politics even when he makes movies about a late night television show or a, a fictional equivalent of keith olbermann yeah i um, i definitely agree like with yeah. it, I can see Rob Reiner in the like chemistry that Annette Benning and Michael Douglas have. Like, even though we're talking shit about their relationship, like there are moments where like they do have good like on -screen, on screen chemistry, and like the blocking is nice and like sets it up well. But I haven't seen a few good men, and like my first like main Rob Reiner reference would be like this is Final Tap like that's how I introduced him in my main frame of reference and that's sort of going from there I've always been like oh wow his career oh, has so yeah, many journeys like and so many arcs that's not yeah this is this is Spinal Tap is probably the least Rob Reiner Rob Reiner movie in terms of his sensibilities like it's really that's really not his gig that's really yeah. a Christopher Guest thing for real like I would say A Few Good Men is the most Rob Reinery like Stand by Me? In my opinion, is his best movie. Um, well, it's Stand by Me and When Harry Met Sally. They're both they're fighting like, to Harry they're fighting to the death. As, a, like his, um, exactly, but that's a Nora. That's, that's, a that's Nora very Afron much a Nora Ephron movie. Like A Few Good Men is really kind of like that. That's such a great pull, Dan. Like A Few Good Men is very much the precursor to this. And I don't think that this movie would exist if he hadn't made A Few Good Men. Maybe. I um, wonder if we've just stumbled upon Rob Reiner as a director is mainly a great vector for screenplay auteurists. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's all about the script. Like, if, mm. if the script is bad, the movie sucks. If the script is good, like, he can make it work. That's definitely um, Rob Reiner's thing. And wow. Yeah, and we'll, we'll be talking about him again. We talked about him 
no, we didn't, we didn't talk about it, but I'm pretty sure I covered Alex and Emma on the podcast pretty recently, but it'll come back and, oh, did we do, did I do Rumor Has It? I actually should really like look and see, but there's, there's definitely probably going to be more Rob Reiner here. I don't, I think that this might be Sorkin's only, only appearance on this podcast, unless we do Being the Ricardos, which I don't really want to do Being the Ricardos because that requires watching it again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not watching that again. So we'll see. Um, But I I I think talking about Rob Reiner is is a good way to move towards the end of this. Trying to think of a a replacement for, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? A suggestion of something that you could watch instead of the, I don't think there's anything wrong with watching the American president. To be clear, I think that it reveals a lot about the way that America views the presidency and fetishizes the presidency, at least when they used to. I don't know if it's ever going to happen again, but thankfully we have, we have the CAFRA references and so then I would just suggest watching a Capra film instead. And what would you suggest? I would suggest specifically American Madness, which is not necessarily one of his better known films, but really charming and has a lot of the same sort of like banter and like a woman challenging a man in power. And it's just a great little romp. I love it. Okay. Then that is what you should watch. I haven't watched it, so I'll, so I'll watch it too. Dan, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Um, can I actually just shout out three really quick Sorkinisms we didn't get to? Yes, okay. go for it. So I just really want to quickly touch on just three Sorkinisms that made me roll my eyes that we didn't that we didn't get to in the natural course of discussing this movie. Number one, the incredibly insufferable opening credits where they play the titles over imagery of the Oval Office and the White House and past presidents with the most just self-important music possible. And I was so delighted to look at the screenplay and find that not only does it already have this, but Sorkin wrote it in that he wanted snippets of presidential speeches to also play. So it's pompous, but amazingly could have been even more pompous. Second is when he gives his daughter, the president gives his daughter the textbook for um, social studies. And he's like, go ahead, open it to to its first page. And she reads like, we the people and it's given so much heft and imports and it's just pure uncut centrist america worship brain uh, oh yeah, yeah yeah the we the people in order to create a more perfect union and then mm-hmm. michael douglas is like that's a page turner yeah, like, <laughs> wow <it>? just yeah. <laughs> and the third the third which is more random is the idea that apparently the environmental lobby played a big role in him getting elected which i cannot conceive of any scenario where that makes any sense yeah like yeah yeah no i don't i I don't know lobby does not have a lot of and man unfortunately wouldn't it be great if there was a 20 imagine (laughs) what wouldn't it i kept on thinking wouldn't it be great if there was a 20 percent reduction of fossil fuels like wouldn't it be crazy if that like, Frankly, that was even like, a 10% like emission most... would actually be insane. I don't feel like we've ever come close to that. No, no. yeah. The fi- yeah, that's, that's the most, most fantastical thing about this depressing. movie. Not dating the president. Not, not dating the president, but the idea that, like, something like that would get on the floor. I actually all. have, like, a, <laughs> and I have almost support. exactly the same thing written in my notes. Like, this is the most unrealistic rom-com, and it's not because of the romance. It's because of, like... <laughs> Politics are just not this idealistic, unfortunately. Well, that's if, a, if only they yeah. were. Yeah. Well, that's a Sorkin touch, and as you said, Caroline, it led to an entire generation of idealistic people having their brains absolutely poisoned and ruined, and arguably played a large role in the collapse of the Democratic collapse of the Democratic Party as a functioning political Strong machine. Agree. If you did not know, as a listener of this podcast for however many years, this is this is a <laughs> it's so weird because this is a romance podcast, but it's like I rarely ever have anybody on this show who isn't to the left. So, <laughs> and thank God, I would hate to have like a centrist conversation about this. What movie you don't want to reach movie. across the aisle? No, <laughs> fuck the no. I don't know what I don't know what's going on over there. Like the space 
so like I don't want to go over like what's gonna happen to my hand when I reach over there like what if somebody bites me if I reach over there like I don't really they'll just cut it off (laughs) yeah I don't I don't I don't know what's over there that's our hand now bitch (laughs) all right well thank you Dan for being on the show our podcast has been going on for a while and there was like a hiatus a bit but you can listen to us on all the places apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher i think google play i think you can give us a very very positive review on itunes which i would like i only want a positive review if you have a negative review you should uh text it to yourself don't share it with anyone write that shit in your journal um our theme song is done by clutch douglas and it's very lovely it's so nice that we have the theme song and uh we'll be back with another movie from the past for the next episode as soon as i pick it i'm jordane searles i'm caroline conrad and that was dan schindel bye bye Bye. bye everyone Bye, everyone. Let's go this drug. Oh, yeah. Back it up, back it up. Oh, yeah. Let's go this drug.